when you go through the steps yourself, you have a certain experience with them. When you start to guide other people through the steps, you have a continually renewed experience. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gents. That was the voice of Mr. Matthew M. You heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first. This episode is brought to you by George and Bert and Gary and Ashley. Do you know what George and Bert and Gary and Ashley did? Well, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the PayPal tab at the top right of the screen, and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, George and Bert and Gary and Ashley. This episode is coming right out to you. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. So I'm going to take a moment, if you will indulge me, to relay an experience. I received a call last night, and the call started out so-and-so, and and I don't want to say the name, so-and-so was murdered. This young lady was an extended family member of mine. I don't want to say her name, and I'll leave out a lot of the pertinent details. And This is to protect the privacy of her immediate family. But my understanding is that this beautiful, sweet, 18-year-old girl was with her 20-year-old, and I'll put this in quotes, boyfriends, And he smashed her head into the windshield of their car. They were inside several times over. The witnesses in the parking lot immediately called the police and medics were summoned to the scene, but she did not survive the ride back to the hospital. And it turns out that this, quote, boyfriend had a restraining order against him because he had broken her nose back in December. But, as happened many times, she made the decision to go back and see him again. So, I spent the last, I spent all last night bawling my eyes out. I thought and prayed seriously about whether I should share something like this in such a public format And I ultimately decided that this, a couple of things, it dovetails into recovery, and I'll spend a second talking about that in a moment, and it also, here's what I'm hoping, 
is that if there is anyone, someone out there that can hear a story like this and it somehow gives you pause to consider a violent or unhealthy relationship that you keep going back to like a fly drawn toward the light, hopefully those individuals will reconsider that decision. So how does this dovetail into my recovery? Well, one of the first things I did was call my Bob sponsor. I was on the phone. I was crying. And he said, you know, John, you've been through this before. And what he meant by that was the grieving that I've done. Like, for example, when my mother died. And he says, and you know how to do it. In other words, what he was saying is don't hold back the grief. Don't keep it bottled up inside or somehow it will come out sideways. So I looked at pictures of her and the grief just kept coming. And I heard other details about the incident and it made me, it just made the grief keep pouring out. And um, I went to a face-to-face meeting today, an AA meeting, and I spoke about it. I have felt the entire spectrum of feelings that comes along with something like this. I have felt anger. I have been afraid. I have felt bewilderment. I have felt grief with a capital G. And I have even felt some sort of compassion for this perpetrator, even though I must tell you that is difficult, especially with it being so fresh right now. He asked the question, why would somebody behave like this? My main concern right now is for her immediate family, what they are experiencing right this moment, and what they will continue to to experience for, uh, I'm sure, as long as they are alive. We speak a lot on this podcast about the joys of sobriety, but I'm here to tell you also that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Life still happens, and moments like this are part of life. So, to this sweet young lady, I love you. We're going to miss you here, and we'll see you on the other side. Rest in peace, sweet girl. Now, on to the episode for today. Matthew M. is here to address steps eight and nine. Fittingly, he's going to talk about forgiveness and amends. We do this recording. He's actually over at Bill C.'s house. We talk about this. We talk about the definition of forgiveness. We talk about financial and other types of men's, and we talk about much more. So, folks, enjoy Matthew M., and we will have plenty of listener feedback on the other end. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So, today, we are sitting here. And he's smiling now with Mr. Matthew, Matthew M. Again, backed by popular demand. And when I say popular demand, I do mean it. So uh, anyway, we're here with Matthew. Matthew, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself and give your sobriety date, if you will, please. And tell us where you are sitting today, because it's kind of a an interesting spot. <laughs> uh, my name is Matthew M. I'm um, sober since May 16th, 1993. Uh, I am sitting in my sponsor's office. We call it the cave uh, through the generations of sponsorship that's happened down here. I'm visiting him, having a little retreat uh, by myself in his guest house, and he is in Redondo Beach, California. And uh, tell everybody who your sponsor is, just in case they don't know. My sponsor is the inevitable Bill C. He's inevitable. Wherever you are, you're inevitably going to see him. Yes, and that is, <laughs> that's right. And it is the same Bill C, just in case you folks are wondering, uh, that has been on this uh, podcast uh, 
uh, many, many times before. So we're trying to get Matthew caught up so he can pass him. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. All right. So last time we were with Matthew, we were, we, we, we left off with, with, well, excuse me, the last episode we did was episodes, or excuse me, steps or surrenders, numbers four, five, six, and seven. And for people, uh, Matthew, that have not heard uh, the last two episodes that you did on the surrenders, why don't we go ahead and kind of cover that real quick and let people know why you call them the surrenders as opposed to the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, thank you so much, John. The, um, just over the years, I've come to realize that, you know, that this whole program is to live in such a way that um, drinking is no longer necessary. I have to surrender an old way of living. And when I look at each step, I feel like it's it's a little bit, it's asking just a little bit more, a little bit more incremental surrender. And what it eventually brings is the relief from the bondage of self. Now, I have had people say, Surrender is not in the big book, but there are things like we had to let go absolutely, right? The result was nil until we dot, dot, dot. So I think it's supported by the literature that these are just incremental surrenders to freedom. And so you actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, have done workshops throughout the years on the uh, what you refer to as the surrenders. Am I right? Yeah, I, when I do, usually I do men's retreats. And when I'm asked to do that over the years, I've just kind of kept stuck to that theme, although the content has changed through new perceptions and perspectives and experiences. Okay. So last time, like I said, we were on surrenders four, five, six, and seven. And, and I believe the last time we got together, you left off with a quote. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I quoted a Chinese philosopher from... Uh, many hundreds of years ago. And what he said uh, that we ended the seventh step with, and I think it's apropos moving into the eighth and ninth step is by amending our mistakes, we get wisdom. By defending our faults, we betray an unsound mind. Hugh Ning is the man who wrote that. And so will you, I want to kind of digest that a little bit more. And I know we talked about it a bit last time. Will you read that please again, just so everyone can, just in case they weren't paying attention the first time can soak that in. Yeah, I have no problem. By amending our mistakes, we get wisdom. By defending our faults, we betray an unsound mind. Mm. So... So when we were talking, so talk to me a little bit about that one, why it's important to you and and, and what it means to you. Well, it actually, it's one of those things um, that supports my, my spiritual quest, I think, is that I get little, little tidbits and little, uh, little gems that get thrown my way that coincide with my experience. And I was in a meeting in Gig Harbor, Washington, about five years ago. And one of the guys I really like to hear share um, Bob, he said, you know, when I cop to my character defects, I draw people near me. When I exercise my character defects, I, I make people run away from me. And I remember thinking that's such a simple truth. And then I found out this Chinese philosopher knew all about it a thousand years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why it's important to me. It confirms my experience. Yeah, and um, I I don't know who said it, but uh, what is the quote? uh, A life uh, unexamined is not worth living or something like that. Yeah, Socrates. Socrates. I knew it was one of those Greek guys. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, uh, launch into the surrenders eight and nine. So surrender eight is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Give me your thoughts on that. After we have now left the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh, and we're kind of launching on this new way of life and uh, the amends process comes up. What's your thoughts there? Yeah. So I, we talked about the seventh step and and not working on our character defects, but having our care, being willing to have our character defects removed. And when I talked about that last time we met, I talked about uh, the importance of awareness as Bill and Bob saw it when they created these steps. And I mentioned that the sixth step is, you know, became aware kind of of our character defects and we're willing to have them removed. And then the seventh step 
is we ask God to remove them. The eighth step is very similar. We made a list of people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And I've just grown an appreciation for the fact that there's sort of a pause button to get your head right before you take the next action step. I used to be a little bit more cynical and thought he just wanted 12 steps. So we broke six and seven into two and eight and nine into two, right? But the fact is becoming aware of my character defects and getting to a place where I'm willing to have them removed is just as important as trying to get into the space of having God remove them. The same is true with my amends, the people I'd harmed, right? Made a list of people I have harmed and became willing to make amends to them. Now, we understand as alcoholics that sometimes we're not willing. And a lot of the literature in the 12 and 12 is about, we put aside any harm they might've done, right? So a lot of people have to make amends to their parents or their spouses, or, or they should make amends, excuse me, to these people close to them. But our self-centered victim mentality sometimes when we come into AA is, no, no, you know, they, my parents hurt me. You know, I, I, who cares that I was a bad son? My mom looked at me funny once on Easter, you know, like we have all these little scorecards where we think that they're worse. Right. And obviously in romantic relationships. And so the becoming willing part is really, really very important. And as you know, from these podcasts, I'm a big fan of Sandy beach and he talks about it. And Bill actually talks about it in the literature, like maybe the eight steps, a little bit about forgiveness, Right where we did some harm to somebody else, but we're kind of holding on to the harm that they did to us. Maybe we need to pause and realize they were a sick person. I need to forgive them too. And, and I just want to say something quickly about forgiveness and move into nine, because I think if we have some time, that's where we'd really want to focus. But I had a friend who's not an AA and his wife cheated on him and he caught her red handed. And she, even with all the evidence, tried to deny it. And he was riddled with resentment, like really heavily riddled with resentment. And he and I talk a lot about spiritual matters. He's not an alcoholic. He's not an Alcoholics Anonymous. We're just lifelong friends. And he went to a spiritual advisor. And I think this is so valuable for people in AA to hear. He said the spiritual advisor told him, you know, sometimes we act like forgiveness is saying, it's okay what you did, right? I'm just going to let go of what you did. And that's forgiveness. And he said, you know, we're skipping a step if we do that. This is what my friend heard, and I, I've really taken to heart. He said, the first part of forgiveness is, you owe me a debt. You harmed or wronged me. That is clear. The second part is, I don't want that debt on my books anymore, so I'm forgiving the debt. You don't need to pay me back. Hmm. in whatever sense the debt is, whatever kind of harm. And I feel like that is an important step because a lot of people have been injured in Alcoholics Anonymous by people close to them, even some of the people they owe amends to. And I think we have to grow up enough to say, sometimes you're harmed and the other person just is never going to come to you with the amount of guilt and shame that you require to feel better about that. They're just going to live their lives. They're not carrying it around with them. They're not thinking about it. And maybe our job with that part of the eight step is like, yeah, my mom did look at me funny on Easter, right? But I stole, you know, her car <laughs> when I was 20. You know, maybe we have to say, who knows what my mother was thinking about that day? Or, you know, my I, I was a tough kid to raise. I'm not speaking for myself. I actually, in all modesty, was a pretty decent kid till I moved out, but you know, maybe we don't understand and maybe we need to forgive to clear the path to get to the real spiritual work, which is make restitution for harms done. And that's what the ninth step brings to me. So with the Hugh Ning quote, when he says, when we defend our faults, we betray an unsound mind. And I'm, I'm sure I did this to my sponsor, but it's been more obvious to me in sponsorship is people defending their faults. Right. Mm. I, I will talk to you in a minute, maybe about one of the things that I did as I paid child support on, you know, with, without going to court or anything. And, and it was through some experience with my sponsor. And when I bring that story up, I, I'll go to a Salvation Army or a prison or a jail. Sorry about that. I thought I stopped that buzzing for you. Um, she can't, he, uh, somebody will come up to me inevitably and say, well, I don't pay child support, but I bought my kids shoes. Right. And I, and I think about that sort of betraying an unsound mind. So this woman somewhere is feeding and clothing and comforting and educating and protecting a child. 
and you bought them shoes. Hmm. That's how we think sometimes, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not there all the time or I'm not, you know, I can't live with her, but I did this nominal thing. And I think part of step eight is realizing how unsound our thinking is and becoming willing to say, you know what? I really just need to go make restitution. It's not important what they do. Well said, well said. Um, so yeah, I, I want to go back and dive into this a little bit further because I know people do struggle with this and, and I know you touched on it, but I want to see if you have any more thoughts on it. And that is, you know, there were, there, there have been, it, this is the example that always comes up, but I still want to talk about it. People who have grown up and maybe it was something more severe, so to speak, than my mom looked at me funny on Easter. Right. You know, maybe they truly were a victim. Uh, maybe they have a relative who had been uh, harmed uh, by somebody else, and they really had nothing to do with that. And, you know, we talk about the subject of forgiveness. Right. It's, it, it's a huge one. What is your experience dealing with people uh, in that arena and also, you know, any sort of uh, words of wisdom you may have for them? Yeah, my, my friend Scott R., who's, who's no longer with us, <clears throat> helped me with this a lot by explaining. I'm going to give you his example. I don't think he'd mind. He's not alive anymore. But he said, you know, one year when he was a young guy, 11 or 12, he was left at his aunt's house to be um, watched, right? And uh, his cousin, who was about his age, went to the his aunt and, and told the aunt that he, Scott had done something terrible and Scott had not done it. And the aunt's solution was to hold Scott's arms behind his back and let the cousin beat him. And he said, when that happened, I felt betrayed. I felt unsafe. I felt anger towards authority. I felt uh, a, a grave injustice. I was humiliated. I was vulnerable. He said, all of that perfectly legitimate, perfectly uh, understandable. I'm 12 years old or 11 years old. That's perf the exact appropriate response to that. And he goes, what's on me is looking at her over the table at Thanksgiving and wishing her death when I'm 45. Hmm. He said, the resentment is always your, the, sometimes the part of the resentment is that you carry it as a resentment. Now I know, and I know what you're talking about. I have sponsored many people who have been molested or abused by adults that were supposed to take care of them. And I, I, I don't know how to say to deeply clean yourself of that, but sometimes it really isn't about completely doing that. The first step is to say, my part in this is I have let it change everything about my life after that time. You know, you can get help for that. People, I've gotten help for things that, I, that I've had to deal with and slowly over time realized I'm the one carrying this around, right? And I think it's a little trite sometimes to say, you know, while I'm planning their death, they're sleeping soundly, but it comes at a kernel of real truth, right? Yes, yeah, some, like something bad happened to you. They hurt you. That is on your your debit sheet. They owe you. And for you to be free, for you to understand that to go on into the business of life, you want to get that off your books. And the, the only way for you to get that off your books is to say, I no longer require that you pay me back, <clears throat> that you make that right. Right. Because the fact is we live in a world where that probably isn't going to happen, but you can be okay. And, and that's what the steps have always given me. No matter what the chaos is around me, I can be okay. And, and before, I could be a mess when everything was fine around me. Let me take a little break here. We'll be continuing our conversation with Matthew M. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, there you will find approximately 170 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, 
the listener. Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Uh, Matthew M. You, you know, and kind of going back to that real quick, I, I've always been kind of fascinated by these um, when I watch on TV a courtroom scene where relatives get up and they approach the perpetrator and they say whether they murdered their son or whatever the case may be, they say, you know, I forgive you. And, and, and I'm, I'm never thinking that they're doing that for that other individual, right? Uh, they're doing it for themselves, but it always just uh, fascinates me to watch that. I, I hope to God I never have to be in the position to actually make that uh, decision for myself, uh, but it is fascinating. Yeah, I, I, there are friends of mine in AA who have done exactly that, stood in courtrooms and forgiven someone for for killing their sister. Um, and I can tell you their experience was they saw the humanity in them when people were yelling at them, at the other victims' uh, families. The person was hardened, but then a man got up that this friend of mine said looked kind of like Santa Claus. He was white beard and a round guy. And he said, I feel sorry for you. I can't believe that you lived a life that would lead you to do that. And I have forgiven you because that's what my faith dictates. And my friend saw that in this man's that the, the perpetrator softened and got vulnerable. So she realized that was the way to get to be heard. And she said, it's, it's hard for me. Maybe I will forgive you, but I want you to know who my sister was. And she's just represented the full human being. And I think, you know, when we're talking about eight and nine to stay on the tracks of this is that the the thing that keeps people loaded or that keep you drunk or keeps people in agitation while in the program of recovery is that they think that their problem is more severe than anyone's. They think that their experience of life is more complicated and we don't really understand. And a great leap forward for any of you in recovery is when you start to realize that the person standing outside the meeting with you or the person observing you uh, does understand, does absolutely understand because we've heard this, we've experienced it, we've been with each other um, and have years and years of experience. And that's a great leap towards healing is when you realize you are not different. I just have to acknowledge him. Bill C. just walked in the room. I thought you were in Redondo Beach. <laughs> that's that's where he is. Or this, do, you need, do you need any extra input? <laughs> now he's here to monitor me. <clears throat> oh, no. <laughs> this is so wild. I've never had this before. Two guests on Sober Speak in the same room. That's great. All right, so so let's get back on track here. Um, all right, so step nine. Right. Um, uh, oh, gosh. I, you know, every once in a while I do this, I just blank. Uh, we, oh, my goodness. Made amends to such people whenever possible, except for to do so. Do so would injure them or others. Thank right. you very much. <laughs> We're going to buy you this thing. It's called a big book, John. Yeah, I've got one right here, but I always try it from the, the top of my head, from the top of my mind. Anyway, so we talk about that surrender, surrender nine. Right. What comes to mind for Matthew M? Well, I, I think that that's, again, the, the promises are in this part of, of the book, right? Where it says we will know a new freedom and a new peace. But it also says the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it, right? So the surrender of uh, I'm going to live as if I'm the center of the universe, um, only my feelings matter. That's what all of these steps are doing, right? Eventually over time. But a lot of it is focused on me. Four, five, six, and seven are focused on me. It, and then you get to eight and nine, this list of people we'd harmed, our effect on the world, right? And now we're going to make amends to such people whenever possible. I think that's where you're surrendering that tight grip on it's all about me. It's really all about my, my participation, my place in this, this life that I've been given, right? And I think it, it's kind of like anything else result, involved with the steps. When you go through the steps yourself, you have a certain experience with them. 
When you start to guide other people through the steps, you have a continually renewed experience. And I think for me, I, I always think of my friend Claire. Claire had a um it was had cystic fibrosis and passed away. But one of the times I met Claire in the hospital, I might have talked about this in the fourth step because it sticks in my mind so strongly. She was standing on a bed in a hospital because she was small. She was like five or six. And there was a nurse standing on the floor, but it's the same height as Claire. And she had a hypodermic in her, in her hand. And Claire's got her eyes clenched shut. And she's saying, the anticipation is the hardest part. The anticipation is the hardest part. And the nurse laughs out loud and says, Claire, I already gave you the shot. <laughs> and and when you're helping somebody make amends, I so often feel like that. Like you don't understand. You're anticipating this is so much harder than the actual experience of it. And after the experience of it, you may get well. The medicine may take effect. Just trust us, right? And I'll give you an example. I was doing a talk in India the other day, and this guy was telling me, well, I don't know if I want to make my financial amends because it might affect my retirement. And I said, do you have a retirement account or a place where you keep stolen goods? <laughs> right? Because that's the way, again, that's surrender, you know? Yes, I stole your money, right? Now I have money. I don't want to give you my money. It's not your money. <laughs> it's the money that you stole, right? And, and I think that that's the surrender, that flip of the switch where like I am connected, completely connected with this whole experience of life. And for me to think that holding on tightly to something or not admitting to something or not going to make something right is somehow going to make me be okay or get ahead in the game is just a spiritual falsity. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fool's errand. It's, it proves that you don't understand that we're all connected. And the, the great gift is God does not you know, ask too much of us when we seek him. If you go do these things that I, I have very rarely heard of somebody, although it does occasionally happen, really, really get hurt by making an amends, right? There are people that have to pay more dearly than other people, but always at the other end, they come out. And, and I like to talk about that. You know, the ones that scared me the most and, and, and the things that I thought I couldn't do are the ones that have been the most productive, right? So I'll, I'll, I, do you want me to just go ahead or do you want to ask me? Uh, yeah, what do you mean by that? Give me an example. Of All that. right, so I, I often speak about this, but I, I owed a guy $15,000, right? And the reason I want to talk about this on this podcast is I was absolutely sure in 1993 when I was in my first year of sobriety that I could not possibly pay him back. I, there was no way on earth that I would find 15000 extra dollars. <laughs> right. I could, I was living with my parents and I had two minimum wage jobs and had no hope of ever moving out from my parents. And I was 31 years old. Right. So when I looked at that list and I had $15,000, it looked, it, it could have been $10 million. Mm -hmm. It was, it was too high of a mountain to climb. Right. But that's why we have sponsors. And that's why it says in the big book, before we are halfway through, because this is a process. It's not a one and done. And I went to my sponsor and said, I, I don't think I can do this. He said, why not? And I said, I don't have $15,000. And he said, how much could you pay the guy if you saw him on the street today? And I said, I have 20 bucks. And he said, then pay him 20 bucks and write him a letter and tell him in earnest, you will try to do this. And that's part of that becoming willing, right? And now I'm surrendering to the impossibility, to the, to the thought that maybe if I just follow this seemingly absurd direction of sand, handing a guy $20 who I owe $15,000 to, it's somehow going to start to make this right. Okay. So I paid him 20 bucks. I wrote a letter. The guy lived in Mexico City and my sponsor edited the letter. He took all the self-justification out of the letter <laughs> in a much shorter letter. Uh, and I didn't think it was as good, but we put $20 in and mailed it to this guy. I told him I thought I owed him around $15,000. I had stolen money through a kind of complicated series of events over time. And what was his reaction? He didn't respond to the first letter. And then I sent him, then my sponsor a couple months later said, Hey, have you sent Larry any money? And I said, Yeah, remember I sent him 20 bucks. And he said, No, since then, have you sent him any money? And I thought, Oh, well, no. So after a while, he would just respond with a note, like love in Mexico, working because he worked at a company down there. He had been transferred for work. So years go by and he calls me and says, Hey, 
stop paying me these checks, you know, sending me this money. And, and over time, I'd send him more, right? I got a better job. So sometimes I'd send him 50 or $100. And honestly, sometimes I'd forget. I, I had a notebook with the date I sent him money. And I found out about myself that when I'm stealing from you, I'm kind of vague about how much I'm taking. But when I'm paying you back, I'm very <laughs> precise about exactly how much I'm paying you back. <laughs> It's yeah, because it's my money now. <laughs> so anyway, he calls me and says, "Hey, stop!" I moved. He moved back to California. And he said, "Look, I really appreciate it. Stop sending me this money." He said, "You become the guy I wanted you to be. You're a great son. You're a good husband. You're a good father." He said, "You know, you're the guy I always knew you could be. You've already paid me back a hundred times over." And I'm looking at this notebook and I'm adding up the money. And I said, I've only paid you $7,000. I owe you $8,000. And he goes, and I'm telling you, you don't owe me anything. And I made the mistake of calling my sponsor mm. and telling him I was done. <laughs> and my sponsor said, it was so cool the way he handled this. That's the guy you paid 20 bucks a month to when you live with your parents. Now you have a life beyond your wildest dreams you want to quit doing what's working? That's cool. And he hung up the phone. Mm. That was an $8,000 phone call. So this is a cautionary <laughs> tale to all of you podcast listeners. Do not call your sponsor. <laughs> it's a dangerous game. <laughs> so, uh, but I'll tell you, my, I took care of my parents while they were pass while they were passing and my father died and he left me some money, you know, not a fortune, but he left me some money. And I had a, a baby and a new wife and, and Phoebe, my, my other child. And I went to my wife and said, look, I know this seems crazy, but I got to send this guy $8,000. And I get emotional about this because my wife who never speaks of AA, she's a British woman and we love each other madly, but she's just very close to the chest about her emotions. And she said, look, the way we live, the way, the life that you brought to us, the way we live our lives doesn't make sense to me, but it works really, really well. And if you need to pay him this money, I understand. Now, we needed that. We had a little kid and, uh, you know, new little house and, and I, we weren't making a lot of money. And, but I wrote a check for $8,000 and I sent it to Larry and Larry called me. I FedExed it to him and he called me the next day or the day after. And he said, you're not going to believe this. I'm looking at my wife. We just found out last night that she's pregnant with our first child we want to buy the house we're renting, and we were roughly $8,000 short of a down payment and your check here. Mm -hmm. So the loser, the, the, the thief, the criminal, got to help a really good man buy a house with his own money. <laughs> That's the kicker. Bill always says, you have to tell him it was with his money. <laughs> I hate that part because suddenly I'm not Jimmy Stewart anymore, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but the truth is, it's like, you know what I bought him? A house. You know what I bought me? Freedom. Like, uh, like I never had, I had, I think we talked about rotten Ron a while ago on this podcast. And he had said to me, no one can walk up to me and accuse me of anything that I haven't already copped to. And if I had gone on through my life and not paid Larry that money back and bought another home and started a college fund, there would be that creeping feeling that I'm not really true. That what you see is not the truth. That the way I live is not the way I talk. And I tried living like that. And the chasm between who I was and what you were seeing was so great that I had to drink to be able to stand myself and to be able to stand interactions with you. And I am fairly well, you know, I'm successful, I'm not well off, but I'm way more successful than anybody ever thought I'd be, <laughs> including myself. And I believe that's because I put the money out on the water. I give to things that I believe in. I pay the people back. I make sure that I'm clean that way. And it doesn't cost me really in the big picture of costing me. It always behooves me. And I'm going to say this in case we run out of time in this podcast. People come to me a lot when I'm sponsoring them and they say, I'm going to put myself at the stop of my eight step because clearly I hurt myself the most. Now I have 
Irish Catholic blood. I'm a sarcastic guy. I'm pretty good with the one-liners. And I think there's many, many things I could say, but I always say the same thing. I say, you know what, man? Why don't you put yourself at the bottom of that list? Then make every single amends and then tell me whether you still need to make amends to yourself or not. Because I think they're all amends to ourselves because we are all connected. I love it, Matthew. Um, okay, so we're going to run into the same issue that we run into you with you many times, which I absolutely love. You have you are chock full of content and chock full of all kinds of wisdom. Before we go into 10, and tw- 10, 11, and 12, I think it's best we go ahead and uh, uh, pause and maybe come back and record another episode regarding steps 10, 11, and 12. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, that sounds great, Johnny. You, you, what you're trying to say is I talk too much. No, I'm not. No. Pip <laughs> says I should join that group on and on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now that sponsor of yours, Bill C, he may talk too much sometimes. Yeah, we <laughs> now okay. Now he's got a resentment, John. You guys, you just helped him with spiritual growth right there. <laughs> All right, let me go ahead and find page one sixty four from the big book here and read it. So, oh, you know what? I had this queued up. I'll just do the old-fashioned way. Once again, I'll just actually take the big book here. Page 164 says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Matthew, as you tread the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Matthew, once again, thank you so much for coming and sharing on Surrenders 8 and 9. My pleasure, John. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Bye-bye now. Thank you again, Mr. Matthew M., and we will have more Matthew M. coming up in the near future. Keep your ears peeled. Do you say that? You know what I'm saying. I think you usually say eyes peeled, but keep your ears uh, in the game, we'll just say, and listen for more Matthew M. coming up. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. First up, Mark writes in, and Mark says, John M., thanks for a few things. Number one, thanks for reading my listener feedback on the pod a few shows ago. Well, you're welcome, Mark. Hearing my letter was a pretty special feeling. Well, you're going to get to repeat that feeling, hopefully. He says, number two, thanks for bringing on guests who are an all-star cast of speakers, Listening to Gary Kay makes me think of sitting around a campfire hearing the wisdom from an old wise cowboy. That's a good way to phrase that, Mark. Number three, lastly, thank you for opening up about your own period of the blues around the holidays. I love your usual chipper self, but hearing that you too, like many of us, have those rough spells, that gives me confidence and hope to keep going through my tough time. Keep doing what you're doing. It makes a it makes a difference, Mark A in Delaware. Well, Mark A, I appreciate it. I, um, and right now, I'm I'm not only thinking about the blues that I went through following the holidays, but I'm thinking about what I talked about once again on the beginning of this episode. If you didn't hear the beginning of this episode, you may wonder why in the heck I'm getting a little choked up. But, you know, that's life. Uh, and then and it's death in this case. And uh, it's part of life. And anyway, thank you for saying that, Mark. I really appreciate it. Allison M. writes in and she says, uh, she it's entitled Super Secret Facebook Group. And by the way, I don't think I said it on the beginning of this episode today, but if you are interested in being in, being in the Super Secret Facebook Group, just send me your email, john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and we will get you in that group. Make sure it is the email associated with your Facebook group that you send to me. 
She says, hi, John, been listening to Sober Speak for a couple of years. Heard about it from Spencer with the Recovery Show. I will have 14 years in Al-Anon this coming May, and hearing AA speakers with this podcast has helped me to grow my program during these past two years. Thanks for all you do. Hugs, Allison M. Well, Allison M., hugs right back out to you. Thanks for listening in, and I'm glad you're able to be part of the Super Secret Facebook group. Laura Lee writes in, I think it's Laura, L-O-R-E-L-E-I. I think that would be Laura Lee. Anyway, she writes in, I've been in recovery and sober and clean since January 29th of 1992. I got sober in Los Angeles and brought my sobriety to Pittsburgh in 2000. When the pandemic started, I was bemoaning the loss of face-to-face meetings. I can understand that, Laura Lee. She says, my, my sponsor said that she heard something about podcasts, but hadn't tried them. The idea was stuck with me. Hey, I could go to a, quote, meeting between meetings, other quote, while doing the dishes, cooking, cleaning, etc. When I put on when I put, quote, sober podcast into a so- search engine, yours is the first one that came up. And yours is the one I've stuck with ever since. Well, we were meant to be together, Laura Lee. She says, luckily, I was turned on to Spencer's, there's Spencer's name again, The Recovery Show as a result. And by the way, just in case you're wondering what they're talking about and you don't know who Spencer is, he has an Al-Anon podcast called The Recovery Show, and that's what they're talking about there. uh, She says, I moved between these AA and Al-Anon podcasts with glee, triple exclamation point. I love listening to Gary K. There is Gary's K name again. I think his voice is so sensual. <laughs> and she puts in parentheses, sorry, should I say that? But it's true in big capital letters. <laughs> anyway, she says, I also enjoy hearing his take on sobriety. My recovery journey has included a long stint in ACA, which is Adult Children Alcoholics Anonymous, which lends me a softening of the edges, if you will. So I take many ideas so my take on many ideas is, ideas is different than Gary's. However, his crystal clear ability to communicate and explain himself is excited and I'm sure a much needed support to all of us listening. Thank you so much for your hard work and expertise in putting these podcasts together. Keep on keeping on, John, and I will too. Laura Lee P. from Pittsburgh. Well, thank you, Laura Lee. And uh, by the way, I sent that message over to Gary. Uh, He got a kick out of that. Mr. Would you call it a sensual voice? Is that what it was? Sensual? I I can't remember. I'm I'm going back up there. I love it. Sensual. Yes. Sensual voice, Mr. Gary Kay. Anyway, Drew writes in and Drew says, Hi, John. I live outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, and I still, I'm still kind of new to both AA and recovery. After, quote, social drinking for 20 plus years, I came to the program back in December of 2020 because I was totally out of control with my drinking and needed help. Drinking had taken a toll on me physically and mentally, but that was not enough to get me sober. I was reluctant to attend the program because of preconceived notions of AA, but it was a requirement for the IOP program that I enrolled in. I am 58 days sober today and feeling great. Super Drew, that's real nice to hear. Working on a Working with a great sponsor who recommended your podcast. Well, that is a great sponsor, Drew. <laughs> and starting to work, he steps... Walk work through the steps, although slowly. I have downloaded most of this available Sober Speak podcast and really enjoy the content. I started with episode one, and I'm working my way up through the early content while listening to others that are more recent. My favorite thus far is David G, as I can really relate to some of what he has said during the recordings. I look forward to exploring more of the program and contents in the future. Drew P. Well, Drew, 
We are going to have more of David G. on in the future. I just don't know when yet, but thank you so much for writing that in. And once again, congrats on that 58 days. So great to hear. Donna writes in and she says, Hey, John, I listen to your podcast very often and I very much in, and I very much enjoy it, but I do not have Facebook. So I listen to you a lot on my Spotify. She says, I do get email messages from you, and I do hope to hear from you often from those two sources that I have. But again, I very much enjoy your speakers. It's helped me keep sober for the last three years. Sober blessings, Donna. And then she signs it, alcoholic and addict, sent from my iPhone. So it looks like that is her signature, alcoholic and addict. So She's just putting it right out there. Well, thank you, Donna. I really appreciate you writing in. And I'm glad, so glad that I could be part of your journey here recently. Rick writes in and Rick says, Hi, John. I'll tell you a little about me. I started drinking as an alcoholic right from my first drink at age 10. I started stealing and hiding beers from the get-go. I got pulled over numerous times by the police for drunk driving, but because I was in the 80s and my mother knew the local police, they would just follow me home. Yes, they would let me drive. Once I burned through all the favors, though, they began to arrest me. Had three DWIs under my belt before I progressed to harder substances to keep me up and sober for another one. This went on for many years until I finally stumbled into the perfect job for me, a union carpenter superintendent that gave me enough freedom to tie my own noose. I went through a divorce and I had to relocate 700 miles away, but the relocation was due to my divorce, not my drinking, so at least so I convinced myself. After four years of living down south when I was out on a bender and too drunk to drive or even remember where my car was, I got hit by a drunk driver when I was walking. After seven months in the hospital with 54 days in a coma, I was finally able to pass the test of getting to leave the rehab hospital. When I was released, I was released in a wheelchair and the doctors told my parents I would never walk or talk again. I'm doing both now the best I can. Yes, I'm the first to admit I have no balance and my speech is very hard to understand, but every day I'm improving and should continue as long as I never pick up again, Rick. Well, Rick... My goodness, God bless you and your recovery in in both ways, recovery uh, uh, through the steps and uh, from drugs and alcohol, and also your recovery, your physical recovery. Sounds like you've been through a lot there, my friend. God bless you. Okay, everybody, this is another week. Um, I did think seriously about just taking off this week. But for whatever reason, I wanted to come share with you guys and be with you guys. And uh, I appreciate you listening to me this week and listening to Mr. Matthew M. Thank you, Matthew M., for coming in here. So, as I always say, I'm doing this one week at a time. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. If you have any comments for me or Matthew or any of of the other guests, feel free to reach out. I'm a John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.